Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 77, Elijah Holland. But firstly, let me tell you about the sponsors, Chef Notepad. Calculate your food cost and manage your recipes. Don't want to be that guy who does not know how much the food costs. Uh, check that out, Chef Notepad. Also, brought to you by Green Endeavour. That's the company that owns Suncoast Fresh and Fruit Link. We don't just deliver high-quality fruit and vegetables and mouth-watering gourmet goods. We're here to create sustainable communities where all people are educated, empowered, and inspired through the joy of real food. Okay, Elijah Holland. This guy has an amazing, amazing story and just making me feel like I was such a big underachiever. He's 30, he's done so much. And the guy knows his story and it's pretty much him talking because he just knows what how, to, how podcasts go together. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. Sit back, relax like I did and enjoy the ride. Normally we start off with asking you your name and everything oh, yeah. to test, but we've done that. Hey, Scarlett, we're good. We're off and running. We're off, yeah. Elijah Ooh. Holland, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Man, we've been talking for 20 minutes already, and I, um, I'm so excited about letting people know what you're doing. First of all, welcome to the Northern Rivers. Um, I bet you're excited about finding lots of forage foods and new things up here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's great to, to be back around here. You know, I've only really kind of come through the area, you know, ever since I was a kid and, like, you know, just more exploring and I haven't, you know, ever moved and stayed up here for a longer period of time. So it's really exciting to be up here, you know, for good kind of thing now. So, yeah. So where are you working now? Um, so now, so I've, I've joined the um, uh, company. I'm taking over as executive chef at Belondrel Beach Italian Food in Byron Bay. And then also more uh, importantly as well, um, uh, for opening a new restaurant right next door to it. So um, the owners of uh, uh, Belondrel Beach Italian Food, so with... Um, uh, Deke Miskin, we're opening a new uh, venue next door, yep. uh, which is going to be a really fun concept. Um, uh, think of it, it's a celebration of seafood and vegetables all over fire, um, but with a little bit of a South American and a little bit of an Asian influence. So, you know, so some beautiful I'm places. Sold. You can stop talking yeah. now. That's done. I'm, I'm home. That's yeah. delicious. And and for me, it's kind of like, it's. I mean, it's such the perfect location for it because we're literally across the road from the beach. Um, but we're in this kind of subtropical, beautiful area. And when you think, you know, South America and Asia, that's kind of, you know, meets hand in hand. It's, you know, where the jungle meets the sea kind of pretty much. So that's what we're going to be reflecting with the food. Um, there's going to be a small amount of meat on there, maybe, but it might just be maybe predominantly seafood and vegetables, um, but really showcasing that in a fun, interesting way. You know, the menu is going to be broken up into things that are raw, steamed, fired, so cooked over the fire and fried. So you were born. That sounds like a role you were born to do. Yeah. Like, so how have you packed in uh, sixty years of life in just thirty years? <laughs> like, where did this all start? I know you started very, very young. Let's go back and 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 sort of get back to this um, this this restaurant that you're about to open. Tell tell us. Uh, it got going when you were quite young. Everyone goes, you're the, you're the youngest, like seventeen when you qualify. But tell us, how did you get that happening prior to seventeen? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I think when I grew up. When I was really young, I come from a big family. I've got two brothers, two sisters, and, um, you know, a very creative family. And especially, like, you know, with my mum and grandma, you know, they've, um, you know, really, they're amazing cooks and, and, you know, they made everything at home, but, you know, a bit shy about it. But, uh, you know, I've grown up with them making everything from scratch at home. You know, when we were really young as well, our family had a farm. So I was used to getting a lot of things, uh, you know, straight from farm, picking things and stuff like this. You know, like when I was young, you know, our parents would send us up a mulberry tree to go grab fruit 
or we'd be along the side of the road collecting some wild fennel and other things. Or, you know, for a bushwalk up in the Blue Mountains, we'd be out, you know, picking some sarsaparilla leaves off a tree instead of having your little snacks when we're out for a walk and just be chewing on them instead. But um, just from when I was young, you know, I love food and, you know, and for me, anything to do with food was just fun. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, so, you know, that's it started off just, um, you know, cooking, doing some fun things with mom, grandma, stuff like this. And then I went from, you know, when I was, honestly, I was really young, maybe like 19 years old, I started just doing some work in the bakery with my big brother. And, you know, there's um, there's even, I've got a funny photo, I'll, I'll send you later, of me when I was really young in the bakery and I couldn't even reach the benches. So I was standing on bags of flour, <laughs> helping to throw things in. Um, so how were you nine, did you say? Yes, nine, yeah. I started, nine. when I was nine, I just started doing a little bit of work for yeah. fun with my big brother who was at the bakery. Yeah. And then that uh, progressed and um, I ended up... Um, uh, when, you know, when I was uh, 10, 11, 12, just working, you know, like on and off in the bakeries with my big brother, Balmain Bakehouse, and then also uh, Baker's Delight with my brother. Uh, and then, but for me, like, you know, waking up at, you know, at 12 o'clock and going to work wasn't, you know, really ideal. I mean, obviously I was very young still, yeah. but I just, you know, I kind of got over a little bit, you know, working at the bakery at such early hours of the morning. And, um, Basically, I, I, there was a restaurant across the road called Pacific Grill. This was in Newport on the Northern Beaches at the time. Yeah. And I just walked across the road and, and got a job as a kitchen hand first, which I did for a couple of months. And every day I'd be watching the larder section yeah. and seeing what they're doing. And I'd be asking the chef, oh, can I have a go? Can I have a go? And I got knocked back for a while. And then eventually um, um, I got given a go. And then, yeah, I just, I'd been watching everything for months and I just – got in the kitchen and I already knew what to do because I'd been watching and making sure I'd know what to do. And I just started getting in and, um, you know, smashing it. And um, and I remember it was fun. one of the first dishes I learned to make actually, which is actually a staff meal dish. There was a Peruvian chef on the section there and he showed me how to make a ceviche. He had this big, beautiful wooden bowl and he would fill it up with lime juice and like chili and coriander and all these other aromats. And then he would throw a whole bunch of fish in there and just leave it and then would scoop it out on top of a bowl of rice and it'd be just super saucy. And that was one of the like my funnest and uh, uh, memories of making something first in the kitchen. But as things went on there, I started getting a lot faster and more organized over there. And I actually, I actually ended up overtaking the Peruvian chef, even though I was only really young. And he, well, I don't know what happened to him, but I got given his position. Um, and then after that- um, Oh, good, back to Peru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I, you know, hopefully not, but- um, yeah, yeah. And then I got offered an apprenticeship, and that was when I was around 13, and, yeah. and I just jumped at the thought. And um, and at the same time, I was still going to school. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just I loved it. And so I, I just went hell for leather. I took the um, opportunity. And, um, yeah, so if it was from there, from Pacific Grill, then next step was um, uh, getting a job um, for Darren Simpson at Baron Joey House, which is on the Northern Beaches, and worked there for about a year and a bit with him. Then he opened a, and moved to the city and opened a restaurant called La Scala in Jersey, which was on Oxford Street, up all the way at the end of Oxford Street. And um, I went there with him. That was a really amazing place because uh, my mum did a lot of the paintings throughout the whole building, artwork on walls for my mum's an artist. It's, it's funny, like, you know, when it comes to food and stuff, I can make art with food, but, you know, if you give me a pencil, I can draw a stick figure. That's about it. <laughs> but my mum is like an incredible artist and she's a ceramicist. I'll show you some plates and bowls and stuff that oh, I've got here that she's made beautiful. as well. Um, but so, yeah, so went to uh, La Scala in Jersey with Darren Simpson, was there for a numerous amount of years with him. And then from there, went to Aria for about two and a half years stint at Aria. Uh, Jonah's in Whale Beach, where I worked for a while. And then from Jonah's to Bistro Yam in Perth. And then from Bistro Yam in Perth, I went back to Jonah's as sous chef. 
Uh, and I was there for until um, I had the opportunity to open um, a restaurant as head chef uh, in the city, and that was via Danny Russo and Royner. They helped line me up the opportunity. So when you're 20 now? When I was 21. Yeah, so, 21. yeah, so I got my, I had my first head chef um, opportunity when I was 21, and that was at the Powder Keg in Sydney, yeah. in Ports Point. And, um, and that was, um, and just before that time as well. So when I was at Jonah's, I had um, just started foraging because, you know, I'd see stuff down at the beach, you know, when I'd go for a break, I'd go for a swim or a surf. And I, at the time, I asked my head chef, and I go, "Well, you know, this is just at the beach. Can I just bring it for the restaurant?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, bring it in. That'll save us some money." I didn't even really think about that at that point. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, in the next week, he's like, "Do you mind going out and getting a little bit more?" And Do dogs and he's want like, "Have you seen anything else?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you seen anything else out there? I'm like, "Oh yeah, I saw this." He's like, "Oh yeah, go get that." And I was doing that for probably four or five months, and then I realized. I spoke to another mate of mine, Boyan uh, Gadanovich, who um, was my uh, business partner with the Nature's Pick when it started up first. Yeah. Um, and we were like, oh, you know, maybe we can make a little bit of a business out of this. So what we did is, so we went around for the whole day and we collected as much wild flowers and herbs and things as we could. And then we just dropped them off to about, just for free, samples to about probably 15, 20 different restaurants and just said, oh, here's some, you know, different wild herbs and things. Let us know what you think and how you feel about this. And then uh, we instantly got some response back, but the person who was most excited uh, immediately off the off the cuff was um, Alessandro Pavoni from Ormeggio at the Spit. And he said, yes, we want all of this. When can you start? And we're like, oh, okay, cool. And um, then next week, we, well, we, uh, we gave them a list of the produce that we could get. And then they just sent us a list and we went out and got it and we brought it all in. And I remember though, when we went there and got it first, Alessandro Pavoni at the time was just like, okay, you can only get this for us. You can't supply anyone else, but just us. And we're like, oh, okay. We just were like, oh, no problems. But then after, you know, like about five or six months, then we're like, hang on a second. You know, we can get more of this. And there was other people messaging us and stuff. We're like, all right, no, we're going to expand. And um, so we expanded more. And then first in the initial part, so this is when I was um, full-time as head chef in the city at the Powder Keg. Um, but we'd be, I'd do this on a day off or like after work, you know, wearing a head torch going picking all the rest of the herbs and flowers. But um, so we started supplying a whole bunch of other different restaurants and venues all around Sydney. But at this time, it was just me and my mate Boyne. We would just, you know, we'd message all these different chefs and then they'd give us orders. We'd go and drop it all off. Um, and then um, obviously, because at, at the um, uh, the powder keg, I was using Sydney Direct, which is Luke Kohler's yeah. place. And um, and we'd use him before at, um, at Jonas. So I had like a little bit of a relationship with him. Yeah. And then so I had a chat with Luke and Luke said, you know, you know, it helped me really kind of organize it, uh, both me and Boyne organize it a little bit better. And, you know, so we'd make a list and send a list of produce to, to Luke and then he would send it out to chefs all across Sydney. Just quickly, was this before Noma or after Noma? This was before Noma. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, this is, so this is before Noma. So that was the kind of cool I, thing. I, I, I want to stole that and work with, because I, I did the same thing with Nick Blake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So obviously he was at Noma as well. And so we were doing something similar up, up there. But keep on your story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um... So, yeah, so, so we'd start uh, doing that. And so uh, with Luke, so Luke would find, um, well, we'd send a list each week. We'd update the list. And, um, and I'll find some of these produce lists that we used to give to Luke. And mm. you'll, you'll be blown away because there was sometimes up to like 40 to 60 things on them. Mm. The list was huge. Um, and then he would send us a list. One, once We'd just go out, pick once a week. And uh, Luke would organize everything that we need. And we would go out one or two nights, or one or two days, because we'd have so much to pick sometimes. Mm. And we would drop everything to the Sydney markets to Luke and have everything in containers labeled mm. to get distributed. And then and go across like that. And then, um, so basically, so from that, we used to supply a, a gastro park, a Grant King's restaurant in the in, in the city in um, Potts Point. 
And then one day, like we were just um, dropping some mu mushrooms in the back of the door for him because we always used to get mushrooms and because it was across the road from me, it was easy to give it to him. And one day, um, uh, Grant King, he said, oh, the guys from Noma wanted to get in contact with you. And I just uh, thought first he said Nomad, the restaurant. And I was like, oh, yeah, no worries, cool. <laughs> and then he goes like, no, no, Noma, Noma. And I was like, and I was like, oh, okay. And I wasn't even sure. And then he, I, was, I was like, oh, I just give him my contact details, no worries. And then um, a couple of days later, get an email from uh, Rene Rizzepi and like Bo Closen uh, and Thomas Frabell saying, oh, you know, we've heard you can find these things and get these things. And uh, um, can you possibly come to a meeting? And I think it was that, was that Flying Fish or a pier? No, yeah, Flying Fish in, um, in, the, in, in the city. Um, and said, oh, can you come to a meeting and show us all these things? So I went like, I went like crazy and um, uh, Boyne helped me out, but went like crazy and Spent about three or four days collecting stuff from all over the whole Sydney region, everywhere, all the way down to Canberra, up to the Blue Mountains, around beaches everywhere. And I collected about 250 different types of ingredients, um, for everything from barks and seaweeds to flowers, fruit, everything under the sun, just to like show like how much you know I knew or what I could get. Yeah. And um, so I rocked up to the meeting with this, and I covered like three trestle tables with all this stuff. And then there was um, you know there was all these other like you know heirloom farmers and everything there as well. And then, and I covered all these tables and they just looked at me and they're like, how on earth, where did you find and get this stuff? And, and even Bo, you know, who's Aussie, was like, I've never seen half this stuff in my life. And they're like, where did you find this? And I'm like, oh, you know, it's around everywhere. And the funny thing is some of these things is just stuff that I'd actually found out or learned from my parents and, and, and stuff from when I was young, you know. So, for instance, Monsterio Delicio, yeah. I've been eating that since I was a little kid. It's always in my uh, grandparents' and uh, parents' um, you know, fruit bowl at home. It was just something I grew up eating because it was always around. Um, and they'd pick it out of the garden. Parents would pick it. Grandparents would pick it. Um, and that was, you know, among, you know, other things. Like, you know, I found wild cake gooseberries and th there was a big list of things. So, but basically I showed all these things and then there was there was one or two other foragers there. I think, I don't know if they were there at that time, but who had been contacted as well and asked, oh, can you, you know, supply us or get us enough stuff? And they were all like, oh, no, there's not enough stuff out there and stuff. But I had been doing this foraging business already for the last, you know, nearly 12 months. And I was like, oh, no problems at all. I was like... But I was like, you know, look, I'll probably have to cut down on supplying some of the other restaurants and focus on just doing, you know, this. And then basically Rene and uh, 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 just said basically, all right, well, this is when you're going to start working for us and you're going to have to give your resignation <laughs> in. And I was just like, you're kidding? Because I just went down there. I was just excited to meet him. And the guy wasn't even – I was just wanted to show them, but I was like, look, they are probably got yeah. so many other farmers and people. Yeah. They're not even going to be interested in it, but I was just happy to be there. But then when that happened, I was just like – Wow, and I called Boyan straight away and called my mates, and I was like, "You won't believe what just happened." So that was pretty, pretty intense. And then, um, yeah, and so from um, and, and at the same time as well, all these well, let me let me add my story. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm, add, I'm going to keep you going. Are, you are, you good. <laughs> yeah. but, um, it's a good. I was just going to lie down. This is great. Yeah. But um, I, um, you know, I'm going to give myself a bit of that. Yes, yeah, so I can keep I, going I, on I, too much. I actually got uh, no, no. You're, you're beautiful. It's it's, it's awesome. Everyone loves it. I'm going to just throw fifty cents in here. I um. I got a similar call from Ben Devlin saying, hey, if someone wants to meet you, I can't tell you who it is, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Can you come down to House in House? Me, um. I need you to bring as many things as you think that are cool for a menu, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So I collected <laughs> as many things as I could. No, any of 200. I reckon it was 10 because uh, it wasn't, I wasn't just going for the basics. Um, and so I did. I presented all these things to not Renee, but um, Bo and. And, um, and Thomas? Uh, Thomas, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Cool guys. And um, then I realized what I was doing. At the last minute, they told me who it was and what was happening and all the rest. And I was so excited, like you. 
And um, then they said, look, you know, we, we want some of these products, including green macadamia nuts, which you remember would have been yeah, on the menu. Yeah. And uh, we were, we, I'd pick them myself as well off this retired organic farm and uh, run through the grass and chase the snakes. And I mean, get chased by the snakes. Um, yeah, so we, we, I got a, a really similar romantic story like that as well. It was lovely. And we ended up having to, we ended up supplying all the basic stuff like the mangoes, the watermelon, the stuff, which I obviously live in Brisbane and had a business in Brisbane, but they chose me to do it. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Uh, but then I had to ring Luke and, um, other mates in Sydney to go, okay, give me a hand with this. So I was flying down every week on a virgin flight, which my wife was at virgin, so I was like, cost me nothing, fly down. Catch a train to Circular Quay, catch a taxi from Circular Quay to where the restaurant, just two seconds away, have a 20 minute meeting with, with Bo or Thomas or whoever was there or Renee, and then, yep, 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 all good, da 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 da. And then I'd go back and then I'd fly back to Brisbane. And I think they thought that I was in Sydney the whole time, but I was seeing them more than I was probably seeing most of my customers up there. But for 20 bucks, I was flying to Sydney. So, um, yeah, I just had to tell people that to give myself a bit of credit because, you know, I'm very cool as well, but not as cool as you. Your story is heaps better. And I have to say, I'm so impressed with you and I'm so impressed with your courage. And I think I almost want to thank your parents in advance because there's something that you have that. Um, you'll just you'll just have this absolute confidence and and, and courage and um, uh, inquisitive nature about you that's so inspiring. And I think everyone that's listening to this is just going to go. So back to your story. Where were we? <laughs> uh, right. Well, I'll try not to. to <laughs> no, no, keep going. It. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. It's lovely. Um, and yeah, but so so I was going to say so all these a lot of these things. Um, uh, that was you know that that I was selling through you know the business and Nature's Peak with Boyne. Any of these things first, I'd be, um, you know, because I had a very tight budget to meet that the powder keg and I couldn't really, you know, order in these crazy ingredients. So this was giving me an opportunity to do some cool things in the venue. Um, so in the venue, I was making everything from scratch, all my own vinegars, all my own charcuterie. I went out hunting for some of the different um, meat that was on the charcuterie, which probably is, you know, wasn't 100% legal and all these <laughs> things. But, you know, I wasn't really aware of that this time. So I was only, you know, I was pretty young. Um, but I was testing all these things, you know, before on the menu, you know. And um, there was, it was funny. So in and around this time, I had um, I was actually in the kitchen one day with Boyan, and he was helping me out. And we just come off a, a big, massive. Um, no, it was a lemon aspen harvest that we got from the northern beaches, and we we're like starting to process it in the kitchen. And um, I was turning it into sorbets, pickling some of them, and uh, turning it into a vinegar. And um, uh, then this, uh, we had this funny little Italian waiter, and he turned up to the kitchen. He goes, "Well." some guy could Rene here to see you or something? And I was like, sorry, what? And so it was Rene had come with Thomas and Bo and they'd come to check out where I was at Head Chef. You know, this is after the meeting, of course. And um, then he saw these uh, lemon aspirin and stuff we had. And he goes, oh, what's that? And I go, because I didn't bring this one thing to the meeting because we'd only just found it. And he goes, oh, what is that? And I gave him one and he was like, chef, this is incredible. He goes, I need all of that. And I was like, oh, but I just got it here for, I was going to do a special with it. He's like, no, 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 I need all that. <laughs> and then, then Thomas and Bo were like telling me what we, they needed to do with it. And they're like, okay, you need to, you know, brine this, uh, you know, a little bit of salt and stuff like this. And I was like, oh, I mean, it was exciting, but I was like, oh, I really want to do a special with that. This is cool. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then they came and had a sit down and had, had a look at some of the things and stuff I was doing there and had a look at some of my vinegars. And then they actually gave me a little, uh, uh, a little bit of advice on how to do some of the vinegars faster and a couple of other things and stuff like this. So, yeah, but so that was a fun little thing. But yeah, so basically all those things that I foraged and, and put up, I'd actually been testing and using. And I was very aware that they were definitely edible and you, what you could do with them, what you couldn't do with it, because I'd tested them so many different times with everything. And um, yeah, so then basically, so just 
Um, so I left the job there and started working with um, their kind of research and development team in the kitchen, you know, making things, finding things and getting things ready for the, the pop-up with Noma. And that was a bit of a whirlwind. It was, you know, I was only out here for 10 weeks, but, you know, like at any one time I'd have like anywhere from like five to 10, 15 plus foragers uh, or who were, you know, like the interns and other chefs from Noma coming out with me to collect. Mm. And what I would do, so I had lots of drop locations all over the whole of New South Wales uh, and I would send out different teams or drop people. And one of those people who would come out with that was Nick Blake. He was yeah, yeah. he was one of the interns there. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. him and, you know, there was everybody from Khan, from from Sunda yeah, yeah. and um, who else, you know, like Hugh was one of the chefs there in the kitchen, yeah. um, you know, from Vermont and everything yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. So. Um, but I would take out different teams and groups of people and I would show them different areas, what the forage, how to do it, and then drop them different areas. But it was also always my thing. And I, because I'd work the whole day foraging, then I'd go into the kitchen and work the rest of the day in the kitchen as well. And sometimes Randy would just have to send me home and be like, All right, you need, it's time to go home. You've had a long enough day, you know? <laughs> yeah, you've um, done your 20 hours. Yeah, go yeah, home. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but it wasn't, for me, it didn't even feel like I, I wasn't even tired doing it at all. I was just had such an energy and it was so exciting to be there and be a part of the whole process. It's only ever so, going to be a relationship that's going to mess it up. You know that. So, you, yeah, did you have your wife at the time? Or no, no. So, so this is perfect. Yeah, so when yeah. you're like that, you can do that. And I encourage young people to do as much of that as they can. Exactly. And learn as much. But when you're in nature, you would have been on the grass. You would have been out there getting all the energy from the earth and then in the kitchen doing something you're passionate about. Exactly. Like, life couldn't be better, really. Honestly, you're right. Yeah. And no, I was single at the time. And, you know, so definitely... I had a lot more time to be able to go out and do these things. And, and then part of it was because sometimes some of the ingredients would um, come out of season. You know, for instance, like wild slender celery, you know, started coming out of season. And then Rene or, and on Bone, some of the guys would say, all right, what's the next wild alternative? What can you find to this, you know? And so when, you know, for instance, the wild slender celery started coming out of season, then the only thing that was similar enough out there, because I knew we couldn't get enough on quantity of the sea parsley, but it was marsh pennywort, which is, a, you know, the little aromatic flowers of it taste like celery and parsley. So that was the next thing. So I would always be searching for the next thing or next wild ingredient or something to use if something came out or, yeah, okay. you know, and even, you know, like we had like this little fruit course, you know, so I, you know, we'd be driving down to like Canberra and picking these little wild Mirabelle clums, which mind you at the time I thought, oh, it's a great idea. I'll show you around these things. But then I was like, oh, but look, Rene, this is like a four and a half hour drive. And he's like, oh, better start driving. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whoa, you're going to just make it back to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but so it was an absolute whirlwind of time and an amazing experience. And, um, um, and uh, yeah, so, so, you know, so that, you know, after that, um, you know, like kind of was wrapping up, you know, got a whole bunch of great advice from Rene, what to do and what I should do, with, you know, with myself and stuff like that. So from there, I just actually ended up running um, Nature's Pick in the foraging business um, for the next year and a bit. But I did a lot of pop-ups and I did some pop-ups all over New Zealand, uh, Singapore. Did, and did you just say that like it's rolls off time. I just did some pop-ups. I mean, <laughs> it must take immense amount of organisation just to do a pop-up. Like you can't just go to a pop-up in New Zealand. Like, how do you tell me a little bit how you do that so we can inspire other people? Yeah. Because there must be a lot of work that goes into that. Absolutely. Well, it was, it was really cool. So, um, so, so, so the pop ups in like New Zealand or Singapore and stuff like this. So, basically, what happened a, bit, a little bit of the time is I got contacted by the chefs or restaurants asking me to do it, or sometimes I might contact them. But, um, so basically, me, I would work out the area where we're going. Then I'd look up, uh, you know, like Google Maps and, and the area and what the, um, the ecosystems and things would be in and around the area. And then I would start mapping out kind of basic ecosystems and what I might find there. And then I would get a bit of a list from them and they'd say, look, this is ingredients like, 
you know, we can get from farmers and, you know, seafood suppliers and other stuff like this. And then I would map out and go, look, I need at least a couple of days before because I'll go forage around and I'll find us, you know, 50 to 60 to 80 percent of all of our, you know, botanical uh, ingredients. Uh, and then so as soon as I'd get there, I'd just go boom, straight out with somebody with a car. We'd start exploring. I'd start writing things down, finding locations or collecting things as we go. And then uh, more often than not, we'd come back and we'd have this massive, huge plethora of ingredients. And then we go, all right, boom, we're going to pair this with this, pair with this, with this, and then work out what goes together and how you can put it together. And um, and it was incredible, honestly, the amount of stuff that I was able to find and, and, and forage and collect. And I mean, for places like I remember, you know, like I got laughed at a little bit when I said to first to a couple of people I was going to Singapore to do a wild food foraging pop-up. And but when I went over there, it was I mean, there it's an it's an urban jungle over mm. there, you know. It, this foraging over in Singapore is absolutely yeah, bonkers. I would have thought the same. Yeah, so there is. Tell me about that. I mean, from different types of wild, tiny cucumbers that are this big to different types of jasmine flowers that grow wild, native white mulberries that grow wild on trees over there, the different types of tropical fruit. Obviously, it's a, you know, it's a tropical climate, so things are growing all the time. So there's always multiple different species of you know plants and flowers, vegetables and fruits and things all over the place. So it's basically... Obviously, you need to have a bit of this research and knowledge. Um, but, um, you know, I had a chef friend over there who already had a restaurant. So he came out um, out with me and I'd been doing a really bit of specific research and into plants and genres, uh, taxonomy and species. So over there, you know, I'd find some things I didn't know exactly. And then I'd research quickly and I'd find out exactly what it is. And also uh, my friend Michael Lewis was over there and another guy called Bjorn Lowe was a a well-known forager from Singapore. We linked up a little bit and helped manage to find even more. But when when we're in Singapore, we're even finding, you know, we've got green tree ants. I've, I've got some funny photos of we're trying to get them down from a tree with a, <laughs> when it, you know, one of the tree lopper things. And yeah, like, yeah. we'd have to cut it and catch it in a tree and try and wrap it before the ants get out and start attacking you. Yeah. And I've got these funny photos you can see of like, you know, we had to take off our shoes and socks because you can see the ants coming up everywhere. We're like, ah. <laughs> um, but um, it was an amazing, incredible experience over there doing that and um, found so many ingredients. And and more often than not, we'd have too many ingredients and we wouldn't even be able to use all the ingredients we found in the actual, um, you know, in, in all the dishes. But, you know, one fun dish that we went over there um, at, uh, at one stage, we did, um, we did a bouquet, um, uh, we did this little fun salad and it was, um, I can't remember the exact name. I'll try and find where it is. But we basically, one of the courses we did, and these uh, dinners we do anywhere from, um, oh, hello, Sky. This is Sky. She loves Sky, your table. puppy dog has just joined us. Your wife <laughs> is home from the beach. Yeah. Hello. You've been chasing sticks. Hello. <laughs> oh no, you're right. Graham. Scarlett. What's your name? Agatha. Agatha, lovely to meet you. Come on, Sky. That's a good kid. She's beautiful. She's a good girl. Um, and, uh, yeah, we did this, like, one um, – we had a very specific name for it. I can't remember. But um, me and Michael Lewis, my mate, we did this um, We did this really fun – we wanted to do a salad with all the wild flowers and ingredients and stuff from in and around Singapore just to show how much variety mm. there was. So, actually, before the pop-up, we'd organized with Michael. We did, like, this uh, – we made a big batch of this kombucha with some other wild ingredients, butterfly pea and a couple other things that grow wild in the, throughout the jungle everywhere there. Um, and then so we made this kombucha and we just basically we got some um, banana leaves and we made kind of like a cone shape and we did a bouquet of about 32 different uh, edible leaves, flowers and botanicals and we placed them together and we did it so it looked like a bunch of flowers 
and you know you put it in like this mm. and then basically it would come out to the table looking like a beautiful bunch of flowers and people would get it and then there'd be a little bowl next to them with just a little bit of oil and a little bit of kombucha as a dressing and they would have to unbutt you know un not undress but like, you know unwrap the flowers mm. throw it into the bowl mix it around so there was you know there was always so much inspiration in different places you know when you find different new ingredients and especially when you find stuff that you haven't planted or farmers and put it there it's a very invigorating experience because you know you, you find it and it's just flourishing and growing wild and it's like the flavor is incredible and nobody's done anything so for me that was a really amazing experience finding that and, and doing that so going to explore different areas and, and regions and stuff there's always amazing different things and and i remember when i was um I, uh, it was alejandro Quincino from uh, i think it was the urbane or urbane at the hey, time yeah. um he invited me to come up to here and do a pop-up with him and yeah. you know i remember we went around all around brisbane and some different areas finding some really fun ingredients. So, and you know, every area you go, it's it's really remarkable to see what sort of different things grow there. Sometimes you can have a good mix of kind of lots of similarities and sometimes it's, you know, you're in completely new terrain and, and there can be so many incredibly different things. So it's always such a fun, you know, kind of journey and experience to do that. And um, yeah, and then I suppose on the way through doing that and, and different things, I eventually got the opportunity to, um, uh, which is kind of quite crazy to move to China and open a restaurant in China. Here we go. And um, yeah, and to be honest, like I've never been to China or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't speak Chinese, but I love a challenge. <laughs> so um, I've got to. I'm, yeah. I'm really going to at some point work out how you become this this human because it is beautiful. I say again, I thank your parents because you know you, you got something that not a lot of people. Yeah, you're this. You know, it's an overachieving thing, but it's not in a negative way. It's such a, you just go on and get there. I mean, there, there, there's not many people like you. Like, so, you, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great to get to know you and get to know this story. So I'm just going to sit back again in this comfy <laughs> chair and and then just tell us how you went and conquered 100 restaurants in uh, China. Let's go. Yeah, well, I mean, look, honestly, it was, um, it was look, I, lo I really do love a challenge, and especially if it's something I haven't done or where it's like something new to explore, it's kind of like a, a jump of the thought. And, um and so uh, the owner of, of, well, one of the owners of the restaurant in China is the owner of Lume in, um, in South Melbourne. Yep. So, um, but there was about another eight Chinese owners, investors as well, because the, the restaurant over there was, um, oh, it's incredible. And the, the designer was Yaron Kanor, who's from Studio Y in Melbourne. And he designed Lume, uh, Royal Stacks, Stomping Ground, and numerous other things. He's a really incredible, talented designer. Uh, but when I went over there first, it was, um, uh, I mean, it was it, like China for me, it was like this whole entire new playground to explore, you know what I mean? The ingredients, the food, um, everything that was over there, it was just phenomenal, you know? So the first restaurant that we opened in China was a restaurant called The Locksmith. Uh, and that was over about three levels of, of the whole uh, venue was three levels. Um, so if, if you put this restaurant anywhere in Australia, it, it'd be like, it was you know, bananas, you know, it would have been like a $50 million restaurant. This, yeah. you know, you walk in and there was like four, uh, you know, stories level high was just the doors to open into the restaurant. And then, so we had a beautiful design downstairs, which was kind of like more kind of classic, kind of like a really refined sort of um, um, eatery. Um, we made everything from scratch. You walk into the restaurant, we had this custom built uh, probably about, I'd say like six meters or more long um, charcuterie cabinet. Uh, that was all glass and topped with gold in the middle of the restaurant and in there we had a range of all the shark because i said 
basically it was like with setting up they said what do you want to have in there and i got to choose all the equipment everything that was going to be in the kitchen everything and for that it's like a, a chef's dream you know what i mean so i was like oh, i want a big giant massive josper i need to get a couple packer jets i want to have a huge massive charcuterie cabinet in the restaurant i need all this equipment to make salami charcuterie everything and it was all like yep no problems tick 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 get everything <laughs> you want and more and um, and then there was so there's uh, kitchens across two levels of the venue, but so this big charcuterie cabinet that we had in the restaurant. Um, so I made all our, our charcuterie, and we had everything in there from donkey bruschetta to you know goose salami, you know goat ham, and everything else in you know you can think of. So it was funny. There's um you know just hanging up in the cabinet. There's like you know legs of bruschetta, ham, and then you just see a hoof hanging in there. You know <laughs> connected for the. So it was amazing because I was getting to trial and experiment so many things that you know. You can't have the opportunity to do it elsewhere. And, you know, we made all of our vinegars, everything from scratch there, our sourdoughs and things. And But I'll be honest, some of the things I didn't first get an amazing welcome from there, you know, like I got told my sourdough was sour and crusty, you know, like the chicken Wait was too... Your sourdough was sour and crusty? Yeah, well, the area, you know, some of the, just the food and things that I was trying to do there was just way, way, way too early for the area. And some of the flavors and things that, you know, I thought for my palate were amazing and great. For the local palate and people over there, it just wasn't great. So I had to really chop and change yeah. a lot of what I did to actually make it okay and to, to you know to be able to sell stuff, which was a little bit hard in the beginning, you know, especially being told oh, I can't put so much vinegar in a salad dressing because it's too sour and you know things like this. And I, you know, because I thought this is the you know the way to do things and you have to do it this way. But I realized there was lots of things I had to chop and change. You know, I couldn't use saffron over there because there's a thing about you know like. Uh, Chinese women and, and do not want to have um, saffron and stuff like that. It's bad for pregnancy, which is, I mean, I, which is what's said over there and things like this. So there's lots of little different things I would find I can't use. But this is, you know, and this was just from South China. You know, I couldn't use cinnamon in, in different things because it wasn't for the, you know, the local taste and things like this. So it was really interesting experience because it made me like have to really rediscover things and change things, you know, change my food and cook food a little bit more um, for people of the area and stuff like that to be able to, you know, sell it. Um, so, but that, that, that was honestly a very interesting thing. So, but look, to to make it a little bit shorter. So, why well, actually, no, so after, so there, and I started doing a lot of foraging when I was um, over there as well, which was interesting because I'd been doing research to try and see what was in and around the area. Um, and so I took the teams of Chinese chefs, we'd go out to the jungles and areas and mountains, be foraging bamboo shoots, lots of other ingredients and uh, fun things uh, around there, different types of wild ginger flowers and uh, gingers from the jungle and other aromatic plants, uh, wild pepper like betel leaf and things would just grow everywhere. Um, so we, we'd do that. And then, um, so one day I got, when I was over there, I got contacted, um, I got this email um, via, um, uh, who was, it was from the Royal Christianborg Palace. And it was like um, asking uh, me if I wanted to come and do like a talk at the World Food Summit. And that I, I, Thought it was a bit of a joke, but I didn't know if it was real. I sent it to my mate in Australia, boy, and I was like, is this real? Do you think this is? And he's like, mate, you've just been invited to do a talk at the World Food Summit. And I was just like, oh, crap, this is a bit scary. And then I looked at the other people. They said, then I, I emailed back and said, yeah, I'm keen to do it. Then they sent me this whole information and things, what I needed to do to prepare for it. I had to do a 10-minute speech and stuff. And then that was uh, pretty nerve-wracking, I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> trying to prepare for that and, like, you know, I – had to practice for about five or six months trying to like do this talk and try to, because I speak very fast. I'm sure you're probably aware of that. We're going to slow <laughs> this down. We're going to slow this podcast down. Don't worry. <laughs> and um, so I had to try and kind of like 
practice doing this speech, but slower and, you know, and I did that for months trying to time myself to do it in 10 minutes and stuff like this. And I helped from my mate, Sean and Boyne and then some other people. Um, and, um, but yeah, so anyway, so eventually, so went over, um, to, um, to Copenhagen and went over with the Gardo and, um, my mate, Sean from, uh, Sydney, one of my best mates, he came over and supported as well for the thing. And then also Eris, who was the owner of the restaurant, um, or Lume and also the, uh, the locksmiths as well. He came over to support that as well. And, but also at the same time, I just met this other new, eventually was going to be my soon new business partner in China. He came over to support as well. So I had a really good support of friends came over to support me with this. Cause I was honestly pretty nerve wracked. Cause you know, in the lineup was like Christian Puglisi, you know, um, uh, all the world, uh, the world's top chefs and people's food innovators, thinkers were there. And so like I was beyond nervous about this to do mm. this whole thing but um but anyways got there it was great i met and made a lot of incredible friends and contacts you know miles Irvin, the famous forager from england mm. and a lot of amazing people and then i kind of like subsided a little bit but still when i did my speech i still i think i nailed it in about seven minutes or eight minutes instead of my 10 minutes <laughs> i was supposed to be because i was a little bit nervous but it was an incredible experience i got to visit all these amazing restaurants over there and at the time it was amazing because i had kind of like there's two big bosses I was working for. And so like, they were like, oh, book the agenda where we go out. So I booked us in all the top two, three Michelin star restaurants around everywhere. And they were like both fighting over who was going to pay for me and, you know, a garden. And I was like, oh, fantastic. So I was like, we're going to go here. We're going to go here. We're going to go here. here, here. And, but it was amazing. Got to meet a lot of incredible um, people and made some amazing contacts from around that. And um, yeah, but went back to China, ended up um, leaving uh, the locksmith because things started changing a little bit. The venue there, the, Chinese owners and investors, they wanted to make the middle cocktail bar because it was the bottom restaurant and there was a cocktail bar and lounge and then a rooftop bar and garden. And then on the top level, there was gardens that I grew uh, the plants and produce for the whole restaurant. Well, not everything, but like, you know, all of our greens, our salads, our leaves, our herbs, all the interesting ingredients yeah. across three or four levels of the building. Um, but it was just things started changing. The, in the middle turn, they wanted to turn into a nightclub and things like this. So it wasn't kind of really what I wanted to do. And at that time, I just started meeting um, uh, this guy called Rudy, who was became a new, a new uh, business partner. So he invited me first to come up to Beijing and um, help him um, relaunch and open a restaurant up in Beijing, which is a very big restaurant, almost on par. You'd think like, think like how big and kind of luxurious kind of Ivy Pool is, and mm-hmm. all the establishments, you know, in and around, um, you know, yep. there. So it was kind of like this. But this three-level beautiful thing in um, Beijing on the top of, you know, this um, sh- uh, shopping mall kind of center thing where the guy who owned the restaurant owned the whole entire mall and most of the area. So, you know, this was incredible. We had like four different kitchens in it, you know, like a hot kitchen, a cold kitchen, you know, um, pastry kitchen. And we had a separate staff meal kitchen. Then we had a Beijing duck kitchen, which was just for the owner and his friends and like incredible you know like here's what you know but got to do some amazing food there and then did that then helped open up another oyster and seafood bar and grill in beijing and then also oversee one of his other restaurants in beijing and then at the same time we we're looking for somewhere where we could open my dream restaurant everything you know i really want to do and um so eventually we moved down to shanghai um helped open up like another little osteria italian um kind of little food concept uh, and then we found um, a restaurant, uh, and he already had, mind you, Rudy, this guy, he already had about six restaurants in China, in Beijing, Shanghai, uh, Shenzhen. And um, so I was just kind of redoing the menu in some of these places and organizing stuff. And 
And at this time, I'd started speaking to some chefs in Australia, trying to get them to come across to, you know, to help me to do it. Uh, and I managed to get, um, by this time, I got about two or three chefs to come over. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we found a space that was going to be ideal to, to do this new restaurant. And it was actually, it was funny enough, it was actually on t- the rooftop on top of one of uh, Rudy's restaurants already there called um, the Plump Oyster, which is this beautiful seafood bar and grill but we'd sell like probably like 500 dozen oysters a night. Like it was great. Like wow. the, I mean, this, I was open all day and, you know, till 3 a.m. at night. But, you know, an average person would come and eat 30 to 50 oysters. Like, it's, you know, because it's really good for prosperity and things and stuff like this. So the amount of like sea urchins and that we'd open live and oysters and stuff, it was baffling to me. And we, because obviously in Australia, you know, we can only get like, Australian oysters, you know what I mean? But over there in China, you know, we had oysters flown in from everywhere in the world. So I was tra- tasting beautiful Irish, you know, uh, Boulogne oysters. I was tasting, you know, the Guillardot oysters from France, from, from you know, from South Africa, from Australia, New Zealand, from Canada. And it was like, you know, so that was a really amazing restaurant. But we found there was this space directly on top of that. And um, he said, look, can we make it work here? And so me and my wife, we actually did all the drawings, designings, Everything, all the architecture design. Well, she did most of the architecture design, but I just kind of said where I wanted to have my kitchen and benches and things and everything, what it was. And um, and basically we got set a budget and, was, and, you know, and then that was it. And then we just started building this kitchen and uh, what we turned into Botanic, um, which was our rooftop uh, restaurant, garden and bar. Wow. And so there I did a tasting menu from between 20 to 26 courses. I would only open three, sometimes maybe four nights a week. Um, we'd do like 20 covers. Um, and, uh, but we, so we started doing that and we started booking out, started getting packed really fast. And that was everything on the menu. I'd only cook with Chinese produce, which mind you in Shanghai and China is not a, for foreigners is not a big thing. You know what I mean? Cause everybody uses our beef from Australia. We use this asparagus from blah, blah, blah. You know mm. what I mean? So to do that really over there using purely Chinese ingredients wasn't really heard of so much, mm. but you know, for me, I was like, I'd already been there, I've seen a little bit and I, you know, like I knew there were so many different things out there. And I mean, for instance, you could, you could go into a supermarket and find like 15 to 20 different varieties of mushrooms just mm. in, in a supermarket, <laughs> not to mention if you went to the markets, like what you can get mm. there. And I'd already been seeing these things cause I'd been traveling, experiencing, learning, seeing some things out there. So, and um, so I just wanted to do this food menu, like just fun tasting menu where we change the menu every, you know, two, three weeks and it might not be every single dish that changes, but you know, like, a dish here and there would change but you know i was getting fresh you know like wild honeycomb from yunnan it would come in a bag and then it'd be on a stick there'd be it's still a couple of bees in it we'd have to open and let the bees go out mm-hmm. you know we're getting goji berries like you know the size of small plums you know um i was getting fresh um cacao you know chocolate from hainan island making my own chocolate there from scratch uh, and it was just incredible because you could get so the ingredients you know i had yak milk i uh, you know camel milk i had buffalo milk uh, sheep's milk, you know, but like mountain sheep's milk from the mountains. And it's funny because in China... Is this the mountain sheep's milk or just the normal sheep milks, guys? We're going to get these labels right. Yeah, yeah. I can just see you in there. <laughs> the buffalo milk is getting is in the is in the goat milk section. Yeah, yeah. And mind you, this would come in a used, like a pre-used washout Coca-Cola bottle or something like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's no like proper, you know. And I'm like, this is definitely the juice. Yeah, yeah, But in China, like ingredients and stuff like, if they're not like... If it's wild ingredients or from poorer areas, 
they're cheaper commodities, yeah? you know, which is really incredible for me. Like, so I could get like tiny wild onions, wild garlic, all these wild little yams. And if you had a st- like a, um, one that was grown on a farm, oh, it would be tw- three times as expensive, but a wild one or thing like this, oh, it's cheap because you know there's little villages going out collecting and stuff like this. But for me, that was baffling. I was like, yes, we want all that stuff. That's amazing. So some of these ingredients, you know, like it, it would rock up in you know different things sometimes. You know, you know, wrapped up in things in like we'd have it shipped because a lot of this stuff would get um, just posted to us and be posted. It'd be a frozen water bottle, you know, wrapped in a bit of paper, and there's all your wild garlic in there, or you know, your doves' eggs and stuff in there that are wrapped up. You know, half of them are smashed, half of them are not. You know, but like, so it was a struggle. I mean, I'm not going to say it was easy because it definitely wasn't. Yeah. But, but you know, with everything that's like that, it makes it more interesting. You have to like work harder. And when you kind of succeed a little bit, you win a little battle, then, you, you know, you feel like you've won a lot. So, but it was an incredible experience. I got to learn and see and do so much there and um, at Botanics. So, and while that, so there we, was really amazing. We got, um, we had a really incredible response and we got invited just as a special guest for two years in a row to World's Top 50 and Asia's Top 50 Awards, which was one year was in San Sebastian. Well, no, sorry, it was, it was in um, Bilbao first and then we got to travel around San Sebastian with the you know crew and stuff like that over there. And then uh, one year was in Macau and in Singapore and stuff like that. So there I got to meet a lot of amazing people and things and at the same time we're still like opening up different restaurants here and there but I brought about three or four different chefs across who were like running some of these different places and taking care of it so Josh Maroney who's now the sous chef at down at uh, Nomad in Melbourne and was at uh, Sydney one first and then another mate of mine Chris who's in Perth now another mate Chris who's in um, uh, Melbourne but um so I bring bring them in that help run different places and yeah so but this was going amazing and in, in between this time was traveling to like Taiwan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, everywhere on visa runs, but also doing pop-ups, exploring, seeing the food, foraging, stuff like that. So amazing time and experience, but it just started getting a little bit homesick, wanted to come back home, you know what I mean? So, and um, it was actually, um, it, it was funny when it happened though, it was, if, on one side, I'm kind of wishing that I'd waited just an extra like three or four months because on the last week, um, we, uh, when we're finishing up in the restaurant, I didn't realize we it was the third time, second or third time we're having some Michelin inspectors coming through. And then they're like, oh, so what's your plans for this? And we're like, oh, we're actually closing the restaurant in three days. And they're like, what? They're like, this is like the second or third time we're coming. You know, like, you know, there's not really anyone else doing any sort of restaurant or anything like this in, in Shanghai, China. They're like, you know, are you thinking to, to, to potentially stay? I was like, oh, sorry, we've already got flights going back to Australia. And, um, and, and at the same time as well, on the last night we are open at Botanic, um, we had poor, um, well, pause, uh, you know, uh, you might have heard the restaurant Ultraviolet in um, Shanghai. So, you know, two Michelin stars in Asia's top 50, world's top 50. Um, his head chef, Paul Poiré's head chef, had messaged me on the last night and said, can you please sneak in Paul Poiré? He really wants to come. And, um, and I was like, oh, we're... Like we're fully booked, but okay, we'll make it work. And of course, <laughs> of course, we snuck him in. Okay, all these tables. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you need to sit on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and you're only small. It's okay. <laughs> so, um, but we managed to get him in, and like you know, we had an amazing um, night in there with him. And at, at the end of the night, he was just like, he's like, he's like, man, I've been you know running my restaurants for this long in China. He goes, I've never found half these ingredients. How did you find this? Where like. And, he, and, he, and then he started talking to me and was wanted to like, offer me a job to come and to help him find things and research and find ingredients and things and everything for the restaurant. And I was like, you know, like, look, I'm moving back to Australia. But 
And then he said, he goes, oh, have you been into my restaurant? And I was like, oh, you know, no, I haven't had a chance to go in, but, you know, it's the most expensive tasting menu in the world. It's $1,800 just for food. Yeah. For twenty-two something courses, you know, so so but just have water, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sparkling, no, no, just, no, a little thin um, wafer slice. Um, in fact, leave water around water bottles. Yeah. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he goes, oh, he goes, yeah, but I invite you on as my special guest, and we're like, oh, amazing. So we're lucky enough to have it on our last night in China, Minagata. We got to go in and have full twenty-two courses with matching wines right in the kitchen, so we could watch the whole entire mm. show and everything, and that was like. Incredible and amazing, like send off just before leaving, um, uh, just before leaving China. So yeah, so but so all the notes, you know. So it was an incredible experience and an amazing experience, and that's something I'd never take away. And you know, but it was just you know wanted to come back home. You know, wanted yeah. to go diving, surfing, and, and and doing all these things that you know I couldn't do all the time. So, um, and but China is always going to be a special place. And it's funny, even since coming back to Australia. When I came back in Minagata first, we did a bit of a, you know, we were a little holiday. We drove, bought a car, drove all the way out to Queensland, went to Fraser Island, you know, mm-hmm. for driving, camping, just to kind of, you know, have a little bit of a relaxing time. And then in between, I got offered the opportunity to go quickly back to Singapore and do a pop-up and then also got offered to do a pop-up back in, the, uh, in China, Shanghai. And I was like, look, I don't think I'm going to have time to do one in Shanghai. So I quoted them a silly amount of money. And then they came back, no problems, cool, we're booking your flights and stuff. I'm like, oh, <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit. And then so I was like, oh, I've got to do this. So anyways, I quickly put a menu together. And on it, I put like, you know, some lobsters, sea urchins and abalone and other things like this. And I went out diving in uh, Newport and Monaval. I collected all the sea urchins and abalone, some lobsters and other things, put it all in an esky bag, put it on the bag. Took it on the plane, <laughs> took it over China. So saved my cost a little bit uh, for some of the things and ingredients I had. And I brought it over and I was like, oh, this is Australian lobster, Australian apple loading. And they were like, oh, wow. They were, you know, over the moon. So I did this, only, it was only for 12 people, this little yeah. pop up. Um, but uh, yeah, so quickly went back, did that. And then on the way back, flew to Singapore, did a pop up for three or four days over there, back to Australia. And then that was when basically um, I just uh, taken the opportunity to um, take over as executive chef at Lume in South Melbourne. And then, uh, yeah, so went straight down to there next. (laughs) (laughs) Blow me away. Oh, my God. Don't have a drink. Keep talking. I don't have to say anymore. This is so good. (laughs) Wow. You've had an incredible career and really you're only just starting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Still got a long way to go. So getting there. But I just love, you know, exploring and and, and doing more and trying to find out, um, you know, everything else. You know, I can learn and do and see and incorporate things together to create, you know, like a memorable experience for people to have not just, you know, to stuff their faces with food, but to have an experience where they want to come back and try something else and new. And I think that's what food is about, you know, like obviously, you know, like I love doing tasting menus and things and stuff like that. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, one day again, I do want to do like a tasting menu restaurant or something like this again. But also I think there's also a challenge to be able to create um, – you know, tasty, incredible and innovative food that people can eat every day and to have it to be cost effective and to be able to make a business efficient and work, to be able to keep people employed. Full of nutrition. Exactly. Yeah, well, this is exactly what I want as well. And I want people to be able to experience beautiful food. I spoke to you about this down in the car this morning, Scarlett. You know, my thing is I want everyone to have access to beautiful food, have the knowledge to be able to cook it and understand the nutritional benefits that how it helps you in your life. That's sort of what I want to do. Absolutely. And how I facilitate that is through, you know, the businesses that I have, 
through trying to do podcasts, talk to people like yourself. Um, you know, we've got this new kitchen up there. Where we're going to do cooking demos and things like that. So we can start to slowly, you know, inspire people um, to have, the, um, you know, enough confidence. And that's what I love about you. You've got this extreme level of confidence or just to actually have a go and have a try of things. And, you know, I think there's a lot of fear in foraging. There's a lot of fear in things. And we understand there's permits and lots of rules that you have to follow. And, you know, you do need to understand that to break it off, not pull it out, and all the th rules are coming around foraging, which I know you talk extensively about in some of your videos and stuff at Chef Elijah Holland on Instagram. And, um, yeah, you've done, done some amazing things. You're very inspiring. But, yes, I also want that for the general public um, to be able to do that. And I feel like your life has been a great example of a, of a, a schooling that doesn't, that as far as I know doesn't quite exist properly yet there are some that are sort of trying to do it but foraging you know understanding you know the benefits that you don't even see when you go to the beach you know the walking on the ground the grounding all the stuff that you sort of you know you're doing along the way that you're not even thinking of that gives you the energy to work these ridiculous long shifts at moment all the things so um yeah the, the way we're doing things isn't quite right but you're a great example of you know having a go breaking a couple of rules here and there and just, you know, and getting it done. And um, a lot of those rules are, are only rules. They're not actually things that you shouldn't have to be able to do, like taking some seafood across. Yeah, there's lots of laws about that. But at the same token, um, there's nothing wrong with it either. You haven't, you know, you're not going to poison anyone or do anything wrong with that. So yeah. good on you. And um, like, and just on the side, you invented this this other product as well. Tell us about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this was this was a little bit of a, a lockdown uh, project. Um, so when I was at Lume, obviously, you know, we got thrown into you know lockdown and COVID happening, um, you know, pretty fast. There was only maybe two and a half months of me being at uh, Lume when this happened. So you know, we did we were running as a takeaway um, you know restaurant for a while, and then. You know, I uh, met, met a new friend called uh, Danny, and um, he had uh, Ronin Chili, which is this kind of crispy chili oil uh, brand and business. And then we kind of partnered up, and I helped do a little bit of work with him on, you know, the chili oil to do some different things, and then had a couple of ideas, and then came up with, um, you know, we was looking at a gap in the market, something that's not out there. You know, there's, there's hot sauces out there, there's chili oils, there's, there's things everywhere, but there was not, like, for me, I couldn't see, like, you know, really fun boutique soy sauce or something. And for me, I'd been using um, bull kelp seaweed in a numerous amount of different things in the restaurant. Uh, and for me, so I'd been already doing so many different tests and flavor profiles and aroma checks and everything with it to see what could be done with it. And so that's how Ronin Kelp was born. So Ronin Kelp basically is a gluten-free plant-based uh, bull kelp seaweed soy sauce from the Great Ocean Road, 98% made all in Victoria and in Australia. Uh, and um, just you know, a fun, more balanced soy sauce that you can put with anything. You know, you can use it with sweet things, with savory things and cocktails, uh, you know, as a dressing. You know, you could cure fish in it overnight or even vegetables. You know, we've done uh, different like um, checks with different things. You know, you leave some kohlrabi in it overnight. It kind of softens it up. And then after you can grill it almost like it's a piece of meat. You could do the same with salmon and smoke it afterwards. Uh, put it into dressings, um, you know, mix it with a Bloody Mary or some other sort of, you know, cocktails into sauces. So it, it kind of the list goes on. But basically, it's just kind of like light, fun, refreshing, but well-balanced, you know, soy sauce in between a shoyu tare and a tamari. Um, and in there, it's got little notes of, uh, so you've got roasted bull kelp, a little bit of wild garlic, and some pink peppercorn leaves. That rounds it out. Love it. Wow. Got that as well.
Perfect. <laughs> Mate, you're, you're, you know, I don't like the word overachiever. I think you're, um, you know, you're just, um, you're achieving well in your range and you're, you're just a phenomenal, phenomenal person who is, is getting out there and doing things and, you, and you're not scared and, um, you know, you're absolute. I'm just in, in awe of what you've achieved in, in, in your life and, um, yeah, I'm just inspired, I think. So you, you sort of stumped me. Not a lot of people do that. I'm, I might be the one that cries on this podcast because normally I try and get someone to cry with some sort of question like, who do you want to thank? And I want to thank my parents or whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, I don't think I need to do a lot of talking today, mate. You've done a lot and uh, it's been fantastic. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and and um, continue to inspire. And we look to, to see the rest of your journey and I hope we can work closely together going forward. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, look. For, thanks for having the opportunity and look forward to doing some more work together. Thank you. Cool. Cheers.